War and Peace, Book 14, Chapter 16, read for LibriVox.org by Laurie Ann Walden. After the 28th of October, when the frosts began, the flight of the French assumed a still more tragic character, with men freezing or roasting themselves to death at the campfires, while carriages with people dressed in furs continued to drive past, carrying away the property that had been stolen by the emperor, kings, and dukes. But the process of the flight and disintegration of the French army went on essentially as before. From Moscow to Vyazma, the French army of 73,000 men, not reckoning the guards, who did nothing during the whole war but pillage, was reduced to 36,000, though not more than 5,000 had fallen in battle. From this beginning, the succeeding terms of the progression could be determined mathematically. The French army melted away and perished at the same rate from Moscow to Vyazma, from Vyazma to Smolensk, from Smolensk to the Berezina, and from the Berezina to Vilna, independently of the greater or lesser intensity of the cold, the pursuit, the barring of the way, or any other particular conditions. Beyond Vyazma, the French army, instead of moving in three columns, huddled together into one mass, and so went on to the end. Berthier wrote to his emperor, We know how far commanding officers allow themselves to diverge from the truth in describing the condition of an army. And this is what he said. I deem it my duty to report to your majesty the condition of the various corps I have had occasion to observe during different stages of the last two or three days' march. They are almost disbanded. Scarcely a quarter of the soldiers remain with the standards of their regiments. The others go off by themselves in different directions, hoping to find food and escape discipline. In general, they regard Smolensk as the place where they hope to recover. During the last few days, many of the men have been seen to throw away their cartridges and their arms. In such a state of affairs, whatever your ultimate plans may be, the interest of your majesty's service demands that the army should be rallied at Smolensk, and should first of all be freed from ineffectives, such as dismounted cavalry, unnecessary baggage, and artillery material that is no longer in proportion to the present forces. The soldiers, who are worn out with hunger and fatigue, need these supplies, as well as a few days' rest. Many have died last days on the road or at the bivouacs. This state of things is continually becoming worse, and makes one fear that, unless a prompt remedy is applied, the troops will no longer be under control in case of an engagement. November 9, 20 miles from Smolensk. After staggering into Smolensk, which seemed to them a promised land, the French, searching for food, killed one another, sacked their own stores, and when everything had been plundered, fled farther. They all went without knowing whither or why they were going. Still less did that genius Napoleon know it, for no one issued any orders to him. But still he and those about him retained their old habits, wrote commands, letters, reports, and orders of the day, called one another, Sire, Mon Cousin, Prince d'Ecmoul, Roy de Naples, and so on. But these orders and reports were only on paper. Nothing in them was acted upon, for they could not be carried out. And though they entitled one another, majesties, highnesses, or cousins, they all felt that they were miserable wretches who had done much evil for which they had now to pay. And though they pretended to be concerned about the army, each was thinking only of himself and of how to get away quickly and save himself. End of chapter 16. This recording is in the public domain.